0: This is Spark My Muse, and I'm your host, Lisa DeLay. Today is Soul School Lesson 202, Beachside Reflections. As some of you may know, I am at Bethany Beach right now. I'm taking a respite, and I'm here all by myself in this wonderful place that belongs to a friend of mine. I posted a few beachside reflections on Twitter, and on Instagram. In the show notes for this episode, I will link to those places if you want to access them. Today, I will be doing a reading from Thomas Merton's book, New Seeds of Contemplation. This version of the book was published in 1961. It was a new edition of an older book published by Merton. And I'm going to be reading from page 98 in the section called Integrity. And it has to do with integrity and humility. I really liked his wisdom on this. Today I had a chance to see the sunrise, almost. It rose before I got there, but it was just above the waterline, and it was so gorgeous and it lit up the water and the beach in such a special way. And this glorious scene was so amazing to behold. And I decided to check out the Beach Fellowship that meets at 8 o'clock. So I went over there and it seemed like a friendly group and there was some coffee and I got a song book, which was so funny because there weren't any page numbers in it. It was kind of like Beach style. You just had to try to find the page when a song was mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> and I could see that, I could see people freaking out about that in my church, a few people who would not be okay with no page numbers in the book. The pastor said that they were working through the Bible, and they were in First John. And I hoped that maybe the sermon or his words could be as beautiful as the scenery that was around us. But the message was about assurance of salvation and certainty. And it was the first time I had thought about those words, assurance of salvation, which is spoken about a lot more in certain Christian Protestantism. And I remember thinking this morning for the first time, I have never been more assured of my salvation than ever because... Of the intimacy I feel with God and back in the days of growing up as a Southern Baptist when my dad was a pastor, this was a really big thing talking about how can you be assured of your salvation? There was this feeling of a distance between us and God even though Jesus had paid the price and we were supposedly his children, there was still this sense of shame and distance between us and God and that our sin continually kept us from God, and how can we know we're saved? Maybe we should make sure. Maybe we should ask God into our hearts again. I would ask God into my heart a couple times a year, usually. But all that certainty had to be put there because the intimacy wasn't there. When you know you're loved, salvation's assured because you know you're a child and you don't feel out of place or outside the family. And it was gratifying to know that my faith journey has turned a corner in that I'm not worried about my salvation. It's worked out every day in my failings and my successes. And God loves me no matter what. And I actually believe that. I don't need to be constantly assured and comforted about my salvation because God is God and I'm not and it's grace anyway. And if it's something different than that and God is some kind of malevolent being, well I don't really stand a chance anyway. The pastor shifted over from assurance of salvation over to God's will and how God will punish people with death to teach them lessons and This was a disturbing turn and he talked about Ananias and Sapphira and how they lied and that sometimes God takes people out. And this didn't really jive with the mercy part. He said God usually uses mercy instead of judgment, but and he talked about someone named Ivan that he grew up with basically and they were both being wild and they were both far from the Lord and then they parted ways in their lives and He stayed reckless and worldly, and Ivan died in a plane crash because he was a pilot who was lost in a tragic plane training accident. And he said, I couldn't help but wonder if God took Ivan so that I would come back to the Lord. And as he said that, I thought, I hope he never said that to Ivan's parents, because that would be one of the most horrific things to think. And yet he didn't come back to God right away eventually he said he did. But to think that God would take people out because that's God's will is a kind of gruesome theology I hope isn't as prevalent as it seems to be. At least it is prevalent in the United States. And I think stepping back, the things that life and happen that are deeply disturbing shouldn't be assigned to to just simply God's will, but that God is with us through the good and the bad. And if someone dies, if someone dies, it's not like we can point to something and say, well, that was God's will because this was supposed to happen or that was supposed to happen. People said that about my father's death, that he was in such sin that God had to take him out. And that was the least comforting thing I could have ever heard. I hope that if you call yourself a Christian or if you call yourself a Jesus follower or just a loving person, that you don't ascribe things that happen to God, because I think that reflects more about you than it does the mystery of what's happening with this Holy One, this eternal ground of being that we sometimes refer to as God in our limited ways. We don't understand what's going on. I'd like to think that the God that this pastor was referring to, I'd like to think that I've become acquainted with the God beyond that God. Whatever that God is that this pastor knows is a smaller God than the one that I appreciate and worship and saw in the glory of that sunrise today the God behind the sunrise, making it so beautiful, even if no one was watching it, it would still be just as beautiful, just as a grace to us. From Thomas Merton, page 98, he says, Many poets are not poets, for the same reason that many religious ones Are not saints they never succeed in being themselves they never get around to being the particular poet or the particular monk they are intended to be by god they never become the person or the artist who is called for by all the circumstances of their individual lives They waste their years in vain efforts to become some other poet, some other saint. For many absurd reasons, they are convinced that they are obliged to become somebody else who died 200 years ago and who lived in circumstances utterly alien to their own. They wear out their minds and bodies in a hopeless endeavor to have somebody else's experiences or write somebody else's poems or Possess somebody else's spirituality. There can be an intense egoism in following everybody else. People are in a hurry to magnify themselves by imitating what is popular and too lazy to think of anything better. Hurry ruins saints as well as artists. They want quick success and they are in such haste to get it that they cannot take time to be true to themselves. And when the madness is upon them, they argue that their very haste is a species of integrity. In great saints, you find that perfect humility and perfect integrity coincide. The two turn out to be practically the same thing. The saint is unlike everybody else precisely because he is humble as far as the accidentals of this life are concerned, humility can be quite content with whatever satisfies the general run of people. But that does not mean that the essence of humility consists in being just like everybody else. On the contrary, humility consists of being precisely the person you actually are before God. And since no two people are alike, if you have the humility to be yourself you will not be like anyone else in the whole universe. But this individuality will not necessarily assert itself on the surface of everyday life. It will not be a matter of mere appearances or opinions or tastes or ways of doing things. It is something deep in the soul. To the truly humble person, the ordinary ways and customs and habits of people are not a matter for conflict the saints do not get excited about the things that people eat and drink, wear on their bodies, or hang on the walls of their houses. To make conformity or nonconformity with others in these accidents a matter of life and death is to fill your interior life with confusion and noise. Ignoring all this as indifferent, the humble person takes whatever there is in the world that helps them to find God, and leaves the rest aside. They are able to see quite clearly that what is useful to them may be useless for someone else, and what helps others to be saints might ruin them. That is why humility brings with it a deep refinement of spirit, a peacefulness, a tact, and a common sense without which there is no sane morality. It is not humility to insist on being someone that you are not. It is as much as saying that you know better than God who you are and who you ought to be. How do you expect to arrive at the end of your journey if you take the road to another one's city? How do you expect to reach your own perfection by leading someone else's life? That person's sanctity will never be yours. You must have the humility to work out your own salvation in a darkness where you are absolutely alone. And so it takes heroic humility to be yourself and to be nobody but the one or the artist that God intended you to be. You will be made to feel that your honesty is only pride. This is a serious temptation because you can never be sure whether you are being true to your true self or only building up a defense for the false personality that is the creature of your own appetite for esteem. But the greatest humility can be learned from the anguish of keeping your balance in such a position, of continuing to be yourself without getting tough about it and without asserting your false self against the false selves of other people. I'm just gonna pause here for a second to reflect on humility and integrity. I think the pastor today may have been being his true self. I've heard this kind of message so many times in so many ways from so many pastors. The idea is that if you're not tough on people and make them feel ashamed, they're not going to change their minds. They're not gonna leave what they feel is the good life for the holy life. It's too easy to stay the same. And grace is so scandalous that it makes people create God in the shape of an idol, in the shape of an angry God, and is hard to appease. But God is easy to appease. Our debt is paid. And we misunderstand love so many times because we're so bad at it. If these men of God were better at love, they would be able to reflect a more loving God. But they are in competition with each other. They're busy being like each other. What if their God was a sissy? And what if that made them look like a sissy too? Well, God kind of is a pushover because we do all sorts of sinful things and God still loves us. That's the scandal of grace. And when we love like that, it's scandalous too. (laughs) That's why it's so hard because we want paybacks and even Stevens, all that stuff. What Thomas Merton talks about, about being the only unique you, it's hard because we look at other people all the time and we wonder if what they're doing makes more sense for us to do that. We should be encouraged that God made us uniquely us, individuals for our specific purposes. We have very specific experiences in this world that make us unique. We don't have to copy other people. Copy their ways or their habits or their sermons or their messages. We have our own to put out there. But let them look like love. Let them be full of grace and like Jesus. Jesus forgave people before they asked for forgiveness. He might have said, go and sin no more, but he forgave first, loved first. There might be somebody who needs your forgiveness, that you've been unwilling to do that first and love first because you're hurt or you've grown brittle and cold. And it's time to soften. Maybe you can do that today. You can write a note. You can send a message. You can reflect on that more deeply. I hope that your times of reflection deepen your intimacy with God. I thank you for listening today. And I invite you to come and see my beautiful beach pictures at patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse for this episode, SSL 202, Soul School Lesson 202 patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse. There's new things I'm doing with regards to eating and my physical health, and I'll show you some things there for anybody who'd like to support me at a dollar or more a month. That helps cover the costs of this show, and I'm very grateful for any level of support that you offer. You might also want to check out on sparkmymuse.com the new media page that's up. I put that page up because I've been on so many podcasts lately as a guest. I thought it would be nice to collect them all into one spot. You can listen to my conversations about my book, The Wild Land Within, with other hosts from other podcasts. These conversations are fantastic. A lot of these people are such pros that they add really a unique flavor to these conversations that you'll really enjoy. I enjoyed being their guest so much. So I hope you go check that out. Until next time. May you be blessed and richly feel God's love for you.